And welcome back to the Flag Hunting Podcast. This is Chris. I'm joined by Ian. And we are here today to talk about the Waste Management Phoenix Open. But first, we want to talk a little bit about this past weekend with Pebble Beach. Um, yeah. And uh, then we'll get to the to the main event here. But Ian, we uh, I would say for most of the weekend, pretty much had somebody in the mix. At one point, we had two guys in the mix. And then... You know, weather weather made its claim <laughs> and kind of ruined one of those tickets. Yeah. Um, but just, I guess, as a whole, if you want to talk about, you know, Victor, Seamus, and I guess we should probably talk about Justin Rose. Yeah, I think from a handicapping perspective, I felt about as good about a losing card um, as I did. On, like, there, I haven't felt better about a losing card on the weekend than I felt uh, – what was that Friday, Saturday night? I'm getting my dates mixed up because, this, like Chris said, the weather wreaked havoc with the scheduling there, caused a Monday finish. But uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty well on with a lot of my at least pre tournament assessments. Russell Knox had himself a pretty solid run there for for a time, even though he finished T41. Um, yeah, I guess for reference, Russell Knox is officially like, I'm kind of out on that. Uh, I, I've tried it way too many times. Uh, I talked to our boy Byron over the weekend, and yeah, he, um, he showed me the light a little bit on Russell Knox because he's a guy that a lot of us that look at stats week in, week out, they tend to pop. Uh, he, they tend to point to Russell, especially on these shorter golf courses. Uh, but at the end of the day, most likely a waste of money. So I'm going to, in the future, let Russell Knox beat me. Uh, Robbie Shelton was a little bit more of a um, intriguing case or a encouraging case, I would say, because he did a lot of the same things that I thought he would do. Uh, threw the ball like shit, but the approach play was phenomenal. Uh, good around the green player and actually made a fair few putts this week. Just couldn't quite get to the 1800 number. I think he finished inside the top 20. And then Seamus and Victor, to your point, I mean, we walked into that would have been Saturday morning. Um, and 10 holes in, they're probably two of the four favorites to win the golf tournament. So with 30, oh no, with 27 holes to play, you, you likely take that. And, uh, you know, Saturday, Saturday came around, Seamus had just birdied the par five second, moved on to the third. Uh, he had about seven holes to play on his back nine. The wind kicked up, and he bogey double, and then bogey again uh, to, uh, to officially just put himself out of the mix. But he missed from four and a half feet. There was a lot of stuff, I think, that happened over the weekend that is impossible to handicap. So if we're talking like feasible strategy, um, I think paying attention to wins – more so than I actually did last week would make a lot of sense. I think I, I saw them in the forecast, but I didn't take them as seriously as I should have because they really uh, flipped this tournament on his head. You still, I mean, you saw like the last four really standing. Justin Rose, Brendan Todd, Peter Monod, Benny McCarthy. Not exactly a uh, laundry list of premier ball strikers in the PJ Tour, but a lot of guys can just scramble the fucking asses off and get it down. Uh, so that was the death knell for us once – Guys, once the wind started getting ridiculous enough to where everyone was missing green and really ball striking, uh, could only take you so far. That's when, again, guys like Seamus and Victor uh, started to, again, lose the pace a little bit there. Um, but for Seamus, I guess in particular, I'm still incredibly bullish on him on every golf course under 7,200 yards. Um, I thought he played quite well. He made a really bad triple on day one and then a really bad double on day three. Uh, but other than that, it was pretty clean sailing for Seamus. He did everything I kind of expected him to do. But, uh, you know, sometimes you bet a guy any three putts from four and a half feet and you can't really <laughs> predict that too well. So, um, yeah, I'm happy with the Seamus call, especially at 28 to one. I thought that was a pretty 
pretty solid number. And then Victor uh, at 14, I thought, again, he was, he was our last horse standing there kind of going into the, in the last 18. I posted in the group chat that I kind of figured that him and Shelton who were both sitting kind of three and four back of the lead needed to run, really go ham on holes one through seven. Um, and Victor played well, I think early on in, uh, in round four hit, I think his first first shot to about eight feet and missed the birdie putt, hit his second shots. Uh, again, two putted for birdie on two, hit his third approach to about 13 feet underneath the hole at 18 feet in the next hole at eight feet on the next 15 feet on the next. So he created birdie looks is what I'm kind of getting at. Couldn't capitalize enough on him to keep up with the McCarthy's and the Fred Todd's that were really climbing the way up the leaderboard. Um, but I don't, I don't take the T13 as a particularly bad finish, particularly with the weather conditions. And um, if you would have told me it's blowing T5, they're playing you know, 12 to 13 heavy, heavy winds at Pebble Beach, I would have given Victor maybe a little bit um, less of a look this week. But I think he played quite well. I think he was second or third in the field in driving for the week. Um, the iron play was a little bit left a little bit to, to be desired, but still enough enough life of the ball striking to where, um, as you can as you'll see later, I've got plenty of interest in going back to him here here. So, uh, yeah, congrats, Rose. Uh, off or kind of lastly, I should say, uh, first win since 2019, which is insane because if he followed golf for the last four or five years, I mean, when he won at Torrey Pines, he was the consensus player, number one player in the world in 2019, and I can't believe he hasn't won since. Uh, so that was cool. A guy, you know, his his peers and compatriots, um have left for quote-unquote greener pastures, I guess, um, in his age bracket. But Rose stuck it out on the PGA Tour, and he got rewarded with a with a big-time win at Pebble to be tone for the second place he had to Gary Woodland in, in uh, 2019, I guess that was. Uh, so, yeah, good for Rose. Um, bad for the betting card. Sunday was a bit of a... But a pressing uh, watch, watching again. Brendan and McCarthy make birdies in every hole, and then Victor uh, couldn't buy one from 14 feet. But um, yeah, we've run we've run pure enough over the last month or so to where I can't really complain too much about bad weather breaks and uh, bad putt luck. So we keep on going. I'm content with the selections I made, but uh, things aren't always going to go your way on Sunday. So hopefully for a hoping for better portion at a, a much higher profile event here in Phoenix. That's right. And that's a good way to transition to the tournament this week. Because honestly, if you're listening to this podcast, you're not here to hear our Pebble Beach recap. You're here to hear or to listen to the uh, the guys that we like, the guys that we maybe are fading or just our general thoughts on uh, this tournament this week in Phoenix. Um, and if you are in the area of Phoenix, you know just how crazy it's going to be this weekend, being that we have this tournament and the Super Bowl both in the same city. Um, and this is also one of the most uh, attended golf tournaments on the PGA Tour, at least according to Wikipedia it is. Um, the five-day attendance of this tournament is usually around a half a million, apparently. Uh, so, And it set the record for the single-day attendance last year uh, with six or 201,000 fans in attendance on Saturday, 618,000 fans over the entire tournament. Um, that's nuts. That is, that's numbers right there. I don't know if it'll do the same – with You'll hear him this- in town, but yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, uh, this is a big, big event. It's the uh, really the first. Well, it's the second elevated event, right? That we've had of this yeah. elevated well, schedule. Was, right. It's the, it's the second elevated event, but one was Century, which is invite only. 
So this yeah. is the first like full field, like, okay, big prize pool, $20 million on, um, on offer this week, 3.6 million to the winner. So yeah, the, uh, the prizes are up, obviously it's drawn the biggest names in world golf. And so, uh, when we get the odds board, we got a lot to talk about, but I guess first we'll go over a little bit of the course. I've probably written a little bit too much or more than people want to hear, but I'll try and get through it as, uh, as quickly as possible. So this is again, the 2023 race management Phoenix open. Uh, we're playing at TBC Scottsdale, 15 minutes outside of Phoenix where the Super Bowl will be. Uh, actually I think the Super Bowl's in Glendale, right? I think that's where the Cardinals play. Um, yeah. but in any case, it's a, uh, 7,125 yard par 71. No, it's actually played sneakily Glendale, um, or sorry, Scottsdale at about 1500 square, uh, 1500 feet of altitude, uh, which is the second highest elevation of any PG door stop, which is, um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I, 1500 feet, um, I guess because we went to school in Boone doesn't feel like it's that high up, but yeah, you think about the other venues on the PGA tour, it's a lot of coastal courses, a lot of East coast, West coast, not a lot in the, in the mountain ranges. Right. So I, I would say Vegas would probably be the number one, uh, unless I'm missing like a really obvious one, but uh, yeah, 1500 feet altitude makes it the second highest elevation of any PG tour stop. Like Chris said, this is the people's tournament. Um, I kind of equated the farmers two weeks ago to week one of like the PJ tour season. This is prime time. This is Monday night football week one. The big names are out. We got Tariko on the call. Uh, not really, but um, just, yeah, that's the metaphor I'm making this week. So yeah, it's, it's, I think grown in stature, this event faster than maybe any other events over the last 10 years. Um, I mean, remember even as recently as 2016, 2017, this is basically like Ricky Hideki Rom when he was a young kid coming out of Arizona state, Phil, um, maybe like Gary Woodland, but like, it wasn't like a star studded event. Like we always had the cachet of the fans, um, and you know, the, the exciting finish, but it wasn't like a, it wasn't at the same level as a Riviera or even like a toy ponds or Bay Hill at this point. So, um, again, like I said, elevated status now, um, has drawn in again, not just the biggest names from the PGA tour, but a lot of the European guys that used to maybe stay overseas for an extra couple of months, they're making their PGA tour debuts, guys like Rory, um, Lowry, Hatton, Fleetwood coming over for the first time in 2023. Um, and for me, I think waste management now in terms of like the, the hierarchy of prestige on the PGA tour outside of majors. I mean, it's right alongside Sawgrass and Riviera and Mirfield village, I would say are probably the top four um, in terms of like the most prestigious non major venues we have on the PGA tour. Uh, one final thing um, kind of colloquially uh, for those of y'all that are looking to introduce like a friend or a significant other to the PGA tour. This is like my tried and true gateway drug um for like golf watching because it finishes it's going to finish up right before the super bowl so if you have guests over you're going to an event it's always something to kind of put onto the prelude instead of watching Tim bradshaw say the same analysis he's had for the last two weeks um but it's right before the super bowl, so the fans aspect is is really exciting for a neutral um and leaders are always bunched up here um over the last 15 years, this event has seen eight playoff deciders. Only one case in the last 15 years has a victory seated. Um, and so crazy finishes, volatile closing holes. Um, and that's one of the best kind of finishes we'll have um, all year long. So you are looking to introduce like a football buddy uh, that's in, um, that's a general sports fan, not as much as a PGA Tour fan. You know, sit him down, watch the last half an hour of waste management, um, and see if we can't catch a ticket or 
you know, just have some fun along the way. Um, but like I said, besides the Phil Mickelson year, which was 2013, where he shot an 11 under 16 around one and went on to win the tournament four, um, this event has been won by one shot or in a playoff in 14 the last 15 years. Um, it has been won between 14 and 19 under, um, which is kind of rare for your typical kind of TBC course. Typically, TBC courses are 20, 25 under par. Uh, but there is a fair amount of pair around here uh, that lends itself to maybe some lower scores um, relative to the bar. So there are plenty of birdie chances around here. So 13 holes on this golf course have a birdie or better rate over 15%, and four holes have birdie or better rates over 40%. Um, however, desert and water come into play on nearly every hole, um, and one or two kind of errant shots can pretty quickly just tank around. Uh, we've seen that. With James Hahn, CT Gala, Spencer Lee, uh, Ricky Fowler almost uh, choked away a win in 2019. Um, but it's a, it's a tournament and a golf course that lends itself to a lot of volatility. And you can see guys climb the leaderboard very fast, and you can see them fall down the leaderboard uh, as fast. So another just general viewership um, stat there. But let's move on to kind of the statistical analysis. Uh, let's start with off the tee. Uh, again, due to being at altitude and the firm and fast conditions of Desert Gulf, uh, drives here will travel 12 yards further than the tour average, 294 versus 282. Driving accuracy is largely down compared to tour average. Uh, but again, as long as you're getting foul balls off the tee into the hazards of the desert, uh, the rough really isn't penal enough here to really affect the second shot. It's more about just, again, avoiding the wild, wild misses. Um, now, bombers are probably getting a lot of publicity this week. And, you know, we have seen like Kepka and, and Scheffler and Shoffley, JT, Rock, they make their way to the top of the leaderboard around here. Uh, but we've also seen guys like Webb win here in 2020. Cooter has two top fives in his last five starts. Uh, Reeves lost the playoff here to Gary Woodland. Alex Noren, Sung JM, JT Poston, they've all played well here, being below average and left off the tee. So there's kind of more than one way to go about it. Uh, but I do want a guy that has it dialed in um, off the tee in general, whether it's being extra- extraordinarily accurate and allowing uh, the fast conditions, firm fast conditions, to maybe make up for a lot of the, the carry deficiencies or just bombing it over trouble and, and really utilizing, um, again, just pure speed to, to bully this golf course around. Uh, everyone within the last seven years has ranked uh, top 20 in that week in strokes can off the tee, and six of the last seven have ranked inside the top eight in either driving distance or favorite percentage. Uh, so key stats this week, strokes can off the tee, uh, total driving, and good drives gained in terms of off the tee stats. Approach play, much like it is every week, uh, iron play is going to be my key factor for success around TPC Scottsdale. Um, now, I will say I had a laundry list of kind of past that led to long iron players having success here. However, Scotty Scheffler last year was the first winner in at least seven years um, that was able to win once losing strokes on approach. Uh, he was so down the driver and the putter, they really didn't need iron play uh, to carry as much weight as a typical one was. Uh, but again, that hasn't been the norm throughout history here. Stroke chain approach tournament ranks over the last uh, for the previous six winners: second, first, seventeenth, second, first, fourth. Uh, and then zooming out the leaderboards as a whole, um, last year Scheffler was the only one in the top thirteen to lose strokes and approach. Uh, twenty twenty one, the entire top ten gained strokes and approach. Twenty twenty, fourteen of the top fifteen. Twenty three of the top twenty five. Fifteen of the top sixteen, and then everyone in the top ten as well in twenty seventeen. So just right down from 2023 or 2022 to 2017 um iron play has been the most cordial stat to success here 
So what key iron ranges are we looking at this week? Um, with the exception of the drivable par 4 17th, um, the other 10 par 4s here measure from 405 to 490. And so as a result, about 60% of approach shots will be coming from 125 to 200 yards, uh, which is a bit of a happy medium between the long irons of Torrey Pines and the wedge fest of Pebble Beach. Um, so a lot of kind of short to middle irons, thinking like um, – yeah, like pitching wedge to six iron, basically, is what we're looking for this week. Top 10 players in my kind of weighted proximity model last 50 rounds from 125 to 200. Colin Morikawa is number one. Tom Kim is two. Roy McIlroy is three. Shane Lowry is four. Tom Hoagie, five. Victor Hoblin, six. Cameron Young, seven. Uh, Brendan Steele, eight. John Rahm, nine. Hideki Matsuyama, ten. So not a lot of surprise there. Um, again, 125 to 200 is a pretty wide uh, dispersion. So you're kind of looking for maybe better overall iron players where Torrey Pines and Pebble were more about wedge and long iron specialists. Um, around the green play, around, so these greens are much, much bigger than we saw last week, uh, almost actually over double the average square footage, about 7,000 square feet per green around here. So as a result, around the green is by far my least quarter of measure to success here, only about 0.29 strokes gained per round from Wilson, 0.34 per round uh, by top 10 finishers uh, when you – Compare that to like the eight tenths uh, to nine tenths of a stroke off the tee and the 1.2 to 1.3 um, per round approach. It ironically green gets pretty well dwarfed. Um, yeah. Like I said, the, the green complexes are much larger than tour average. Um, and these greens are also easier to score about 59% up and down rate around here versus 57% um, on your average tour stop. So never again going to discount short game entirely. It's it carries a little bit of weight in my model, but um, definitely much less emphasis than I've gone compared to my last weeks. And then finally, on the greens, uh, we are taking a break from the California Poana of Torrey and Pebble. We'll be back on Poana next week at Riv, uh, but we are on Bermuda grass this week. Um, however, before you just filter by pure Bermuda grass greens, uh, these greens recently in 2017 were overseeded with a velvet bed. Some kind of lose a lot of the the graininess that we see in the southeast and in florida um and it's taking a lot of the guesswork in a lot of ways these surfaces with the lack of grain um they're about as pure of a surface as we're going to find at least here early in the season when you compare them to you know the poana in california and the grainy Bermuda of wiley um it's been pretty much heaven on earth for pg tour pros around these greens uh it actually ranked last year as the fifth easiest course on tour to put inside of 10 feet, whereas, again, Riv, Pebble, and uh, Tori all ranked inside the top five most difficult uh, places to put inside 10 feet. So the question is kind of do these stats bode better for good putters or bad putters? And I think you could argue both ways. Uh, for bad putters, these greens aren't severely undulated, and the surfaces roll so true that it's very likely going to kind of clean up a lot of the short-range mistakes we've seen over the last two weeks. Um, but for good putters, you know, you – they just have that inherent confidence now that any ball that started online um, has a very good chance of finding the bottom of the cup. So in general, excuse me, in general, I'd be much more confident in a guy's ability to routinely make putts from 15 to 20 feet than I would be last couple of weeks. Um, and, you know, we've seen winners here like Hideki Patiyama, Kyle Stanley, Gary Woodland. So bad putters are not immune to having success here, provided they have um, their the ball striking chops. So if you're looking for actual – splits to look up in terms of um comparable greens to look at 
Uh, I would say TBG Summerlin and PJ West profiles the two best corollaries. If you want to weigh putting history, again, desert golf, firmer, faster greens, uh, over Cedar beat on both those courses. And then Sawgrass and Innersbrook here in Florida um, have also both recently trans- transitioned over to a similar overseeded bent grass Bermuda blend. So, uh, yeah, that's all I've got to say about the stats. I'll give you my kind of top 15. Excuse me, in the model this week. This is a pretty basic ball striking model. Like I said, um, most of my weighting will be on total driving, my key proximity ranges, and in general, like birdies and better game, par five scoring. Um, and over the last 12 months, Tony Finau does rank number one in my model. Roy McIlroy is two. Xander Shoffley is three. Scotty Scheffler is four. Tom Kim is five. Uh, Colin Murkawa is six. Shane Lowry is seven. Sung JM eight. Corey Connors is nine. Patrick Cantley uh, is 10. Justin Thomas is 11. Max Homa, 12. Brendan Steele is 13. Victor Hovland is 14. John Rahm, 15. Cameron Young, 16. Um, now, I will say, like I kind of do every time I post one of these models when John Rahm's in the field, if you start to filter to more recent history, uh, Rahm obviously elevates himself. He's been on probably the biggest heater on the planet right now. So last 24 rounds, Rahm's all of a sudden jumps into my top five. But if you zoom out a little bit farther, um, I think the lack of um, just the subpar iron play he experienced for about a two, three month stretch there is going to is going to lower his, uh, his standing, but clearly uh, not fading wrong by any means. Um, how are you uh, waiting the uh, pressure from hole sixteen into your model? Because we haven't talked about that, but for anyone who doesn't know, there's. The whole 16 is the nose of the Coliseum. It's surrounded by bleachers, drunk college students uh, who go absolutely yeah. nuts when there's like a hole in one or a good shot. Um, so we need a, we need a little pressure in your model, right? Yeah. The, the PJ tour releases their sports game pressure stats. Then I'll be all, <laughs> I'll be all over that. I mean, I think honestly, like of all the holes on the entire golf course, particularly like that lag five or six that I think are so great. 16 is like, the most benign like i actually don't particularly like 16 that much i mean it's it's a lot of fun with the coliseum thing but like in just terms of a pure golf hole it's like 130 yards so like um i think they might be able to play back to like 150 160 max um so that's like a nine iron in so i i would assume most guys playing well enough to be at the top of the leaderboard um are going to be able to you know handle the heat down the stretch with a nine iron in um but yeah, no no pressure stats, I guess, to answer your question this week. Um, but the actual, at least on pay, the proximity ranges that I've laid out, um, I would hope cover the uh, that, that, that 16th golf hole. And uh, before we before we start making our way down to the odds board, I was just making my way there on Bovada a few minutes ago as Ian was going through his course breakdown. And I happen to see, at least for what we use, all right, so we use Bovada, right? So... I'm sure other books are doing the same thing, but I happen to notice there's a category right now for a Phoenix Open Super Bowl specials. And I was like, what is this? So I clicked it. You could actually, if you wanted to, you could pair John Rahm with a Philadelphia Eagles money line or a John Rahm with a Kansas City Chiefs money line. They even give you spread numbers. They give you Rory with them. I mean, Jesus Christ. Like if if I was in Phoenix, I would 100% be playing one of these or a few of these because you can get like John Rahm at 18 to 1. <laughs> Yeah. You can get Rory. Yeah, no, yeah, that's yeah. You can. You can definitely get. You can. You can also lose John from eighteen to one right there in front of you. I couldn't imagine a worse fate 
than hitting a John <laughs> right on Sunday afternoon and then watching the NFL team just blow your 18-1 to ticket into smithereens. Uh, no, that's – please don't do that. I mean, bet <laughs> outright single, and then if you want – if you hit an outright, you want to hit – you want to uh, bet big on the Super Bowl, do that separately. But I do not condone 18 to 1 parlays of an outright golf bet and a, uh, and a straight spread pick. That sounds like honestly torture for me. Okay. Well, Ian's doesn't want any fun tonight. All right. So, anyways, <laughs> here we are. So, we make our way to the odds board. Um, I don't know if Ian mentioned this already, but even if he did, I'm going to repeat it. Uh, so, the field does feature 22 of the top 25, 37 of the top 50. So, this is an elevated event by all means. And I don't imagine we're going to talk ourselves further down the board than probably 40, 45 to one. So let's get started on these top guys. Cause I think that's probably where the winner is going to come from. And we'll start with the obvious top two, John Rom, Rory McIlroy. You just mentioned Rory as number two in your model, but mentioned that Rom obviously projects himself into that top echelon. Um, if you look at more recent stats. So obviously neither of these guys are on our card, but if I made you pick here. If I made you pick one or the other to stake your claim, where are you going? Yeah, and that's that's really well said with the uh, just with the depth of field. You know, we haven't really had a field. We've had strong fields, right? We've had like six elite players at at Tor, uh, yeah, Tory Pines. We've had a surprisingly strong field at Amex. We've had, I mean, Pebble Beach was awful. Um, so we just haven't had like the depth in field this week, and so. Whenever, again, we talked about last week at Pebble, how the lack of field strength in the middle of the board precluded me to actually look a little bit farther down. Um, the fact that, like Chris said, 23 of the top 25 players are here. This is, this is in terms of card construction, very similar to like a major championship for me, very similar to a FedEx Cup playoff event. Elite players win these events. And, and until I know we've had, you know, Safety Gala take it, really really deep into the mix on sunday around here you know i mentioned says Reeby, i think made a playoff here at 80 to 1 uh, a few years back but just in general when you look at the winners past winners of events like this with similar field strengths and similar venues um yeah i think 40 50 to 1 you can make a case down the board for some bigger names that maybe have got some drift but in general um yeah this like this is gonna look like a major championship card for me like 18 to 35 to 1 is kind of my my sweet spot at these type of venues and that's kind of the reason why I didn't really look Rama Rory's way this week, because I think their presence on the odds board has presented a lot of really interesting possibilities as we kind of get into the twenties, the thirties and the forties. And, you know, no matter how you look at the landscape of world golf right now, these guys are the top two. Um, but I'm not of the opinion that even though they're the clear, a clear tier above the rest of the golfing world, they're not, three, four, five times more likely to win than, you know, a top 10 or 12 player uh, that we'll be talking about in a little bit. So for me, of the two, Rom is the most intriguing. If this is like a straight up matchup, I mean, Rom has, I think, started six times here in Phoenix, obviously an Arizona State kid, um, six starts in Phoenix and never finished worse than T20. I think he almost won this event as an amateur uh, when he was still at Arizona State. So he uh, obviously... Very, very comfortable around TBC Scott. So I think Rory has only played this event once. Uh, keep in mind, he usually plays kind of the European Middle Eastern swing. Um, but I don't have his um, – let me see. Yeah, he's finished T13 here in 2021, but that was his only start on record around Scottsdale. So for me, in terms of like their actual 
standing in the world. I think, again, these are the top two players. You could make arguments either way for who's better. I would, I would say Rom's uh, floor is quite a bit big, is quite a bit uh, more stable <laughs> than Roy's. I think um, if this is like a matchup, I trust Rom a lot more to be T12 than, you know, I think Roy has a lot more mis- miscut equity than, than John Rom does. But I think when, when the chips are down, these guys are all playing at their best. I think Rory is a tier above everyone else when he's actually playing to his kind of hundredth percentile outcome. Um, so for me, I would I would lean Rom just on the course history. Um, the fact that he's done it here in the States. I mean, I know Rory just – I mean, he won his last start in Abu Dhabi. Um, but Rom has won twice against much better fields here uh, stateside so far this year. So, um, yeah, for me, it, it's Rom – over Rory, but seven, eight to one is just, it's a little bit too limiting for the way I like to bet. And again, there's a ton of Cabelli options. We kind of continued on the board. So um, I'm comfortable this week where if one of them wins and one of them wants to dust the field by three or four shots, you take your L um, knowing these are finite and you kind of move on to, uh, to the next week. Absolutely. And uh, with that, we'll move on to the next range here. I'm going to pair, I can think I'll pair this into the next three guys. Um, and we do have a little bit of drift on these guys compared to uh, what we were able to land earlier in the week. But uh, we got Scotty Scheffler at 12 to 1, Colin Morikawa at 16 to 1, and Xander Shoffley at 16 to 1. I think, according to your model, this is number three, four, and six. So yeah. obviously, three guys that you like, and probably a main contention point for where to start your card for the week. Yeah. So I, I kind of mentioned there was a top two, and, and Chris, I mean, Chris brought it up as well. Um, there's two players in the world that are a tier above, I think everyone else. And then I think from about three to 14, it gets really, really tight. And my general, uh, outlook on this part of the board in a field this strong is unless I'm super, super bullish on both your recent form and your fit for the golf course, I'm going to likely stay away in the 14 to 61 range. Um, now that being said, I was surprised to hear Collins actually falling down to 16 to one, uh, because we have him on the card at 25. I got all these prices on DraftKings on Saturday, um, when they did their odds reshuffle. So I do apologize. I know the card was out a little bit earlier than expected, and maybe you had a little bit less time to get these prices, but I know Colin could be found pretty easily at 20, 20, 22 to one, uh, on Monday morning. So I hope you guys were able to, um, to scoop that up, but we'll, we'll go ahead and talk about more cow. I mean, <laughs> I didn't anticipate crawling back this fast on Colin. I kind of tried to draw my line in the sand the best I could. I gave the bear case for him at Torrey Pines, but he was really impressive two weeks ago. He's, he's playing at, I think probably a level I haven't seen since 2021 uh, when he was in contention to be one of the best players in the world, one of the two best players in the world. And I, we got 25 to one. So <laughs> like I, I was honestly, cause I, I run my, when I get the field list every Friday, I try and do some preliminary stat um, modeling or deep dives and kind of project what I think the odds board will look like um, on a, on the following Monday morning. I kind of had Colin in the 16 to 18 to one range, kind of where he sits now. Uh, so the fact that I was able to give him a 25 to one on Saturday or even 22 to one on Monday is um, was a pretty easy move for him for me to make. Again, his Torrey Pines number is a place that I really didn't think was a overall great fit for him, just given his lack of distance and his kind of limiting short game, um, his mid-length short game, I should say. But 
through three rounds at Torrey Pines. He gained 3.6 shots off the tee, 6.7 on approach. Um, top three in both those categories. And now we come to a venue that I think is tailor-made for Collins' game. Uh, he reached out first in my model in good drive percentage, first in weighted proximity from 125 to 200, and he led this field and is only start from Tita Green um, at, at the Waste Management Phoenix Open in 2020. So, again, I, I'm going to disclose this pick by saying, look, you guys are – free to fade me whenever possible. If you think I'm, if you think I'm missing something here with Colin, if you think I'm just a biased fan or you just think he's got no iniquity left, he's just a complete choker, then you can, you can feel free. There's plenty of other options we'll talk about here in like the 18 to 25 to one range. Um, but I, I've had this place circled for Colin for quite some time. I'm actually quite surprised. He's only made one previous start here considering how well he played in 2020. Um, but my stats are what they are, and I just think this is a golf course where he's going to have a lot of mid-irons in his hand, a lot of, again, eight, seven, six irons that he's so prolific with, um, and he's not going to get himself in too much trouble um, off the tee. So I just see a lot of opportunities with um, with the putter, and we've seen some signs of life. You know, his first two starts in 2020-2023, um, he's gained over a stroke per round in those seven registered rounds. So I'm seeing enough life with the putter, and obviously the ball striking is at a place where I think – but Call Morcow is on from T to Green. He's as dangerous as anybody in the field. So uh, 25 to 1 is a slam dunk for me personally. Uh, we can talk about kind of Scheffler and, and Xander for a second. Both guys with phenomenal history around this golf course. The last two years, both these guys have found themselves deep into the mix on Sunday. Uh, Xander kind of choked away a little bit of a, of a chance to win in 2021 when Brooks came back to beat him. And then last year in 2022, um, just again, was right there in the mix and couldn't really make the – the birdies down the stretch to keep up with the Scheffler and a Tigala and a Cantley. I think he finished like T3, T4 um, last year. So Xander, I kind of understand. I Well, I understand why he's priced at 16 to one because of the course history, but just based on what I've seen out of Xander recently, um, it just gives me a little bit of pause to really bet him at 16 to one. I don't, I don't really see him as a, as a tier above the guys we're going to talk about 10 points higher um, up the board. So for me, he's just a little bit, overpriced based on course history. And that's always a, an angle that I'm comfortable fading in terms of Scheffler. I'm much more apt to go to him at 14 or 16 to one than I would be Xander. He's finished again. He won here last year. I think he finished T seven in 2021. Those are the only two starts here on record in Phoenix. Um, T to green. There's again, no questions about Scotty. I think we all are in the golf world or in the consensus where once this kid like figures out how to putt or refigures out how to putt, refigures out how to, how to make these eight to 10 footers that he was making, you know, at a hundred percent clip, like 12 months ago, um, 10, 12 months ago, he's going to be right back to the same stature he, he was in the world. So it's very hard for me to fade Scheffler, but there's just so many enticing options to get kind of again, further down the board. Uh, but if you want to go back, this is obviously, I think one of his most successful venues over the course of his career with a win in the top 10. So uh, no issues with a, anyone that wants to, to make that move at 16. Um, but I've decided to go in a couple of different directions. All right. And so the next guys here, I'm going to bring up kind of, I think I'm going to group four guys here. So we got JT, Tony Finau, Max Homa, and Patrick Cantley. Um, yeah, another group of, I'm pretty sure all four were in your top 10. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, yeah. J- I think Thomas was actually the end of your top 10. So, yeah. Uh, I'm curious what you have to have about these guys. Justin Thomas, a guy that I think um, is 
how do I want to say this? He kind of burned us recently, so he's a little still. He's still a little hard for me to to bet. But you know, obviously, when you're at a tournament like this with a profile that seems like it would fit him, uh, he's got to be a little, at least a little bit intriguing at twenty to one, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime, <laughs> anytime JT is twenty to one. I mean, the stats are always going to love him. Uh, this is a guy that we bet here last year. Actually, at he was the leader of our card. I think we went up fourteen to one here last year. A lot of documented success around this place. I think he led the field in approach here last year as well. Uh, but I was tracking him for full four days. He made two putts outside of nine feet. Uh, that's not going to get it done <laughs> at a golf course like this in the field like this. So, yeah, JT is always a really, really tempting prospect. Uh, 20 to one. We've seen him recently. Um, whenever he seems to be kind of the forgotten man at the top of the board, he goes out, wins the players at 20 to one, wins the PGA Championship at 20 or 22 to one as well. So, I understand the, yeah, I understand the allure, the allure of JT at, at twenty to one here. Um, going into the farmers, the the reason that I was kind of turned off of him was the recent iron play. He'd kind of been a negative iron play over his last five starts, which for Justin Thomas is kind of insane. But rebounded quite nicely with the ball striking at farmers. Didn't result in a great finish. I think he finished top twenty five, but uh, gained three shots in three rounds on approach. Um, at Torrey, now he comes to a place that I think fits again his skill set a lot better. Him and Colin, from an iron standpoint, from 125 to 200, I don't think they really have too many peers um, in that range. So I, I understand the JT love Homa. I mean, we kind of alert, we kind of alluded to it after his win at Farmers, but he's at a spot now in just his profile in world golf where you're going to have to pay up in situations and spots and odds boards that feel uncomfortable. Uh, because he's now listed next to Justin Thomas, Patrick Cantley, Tony Finau, Colin Morikawa, right? You're not getting that little bit of a bump on Homa. And, I mean, he's absolutely worth it is the thing with Max. I mean, he's he's probably the most well-rounded, maybe outside of Cantley, of anyone past 20 to 1. Um, comes in obviously in phenomenal form. One of his best iron weeks of all time uh, with his win at the Farmers last year comes in with some decent lead in form here as well uh, in regards to this tournament, uh, finishing T14 and T6 and two of his last three starts. So, yeah, I, I get it with Homa. He's based in Scottsdale now, uh, down at Whisperock. So a little bit of a home game as well for, for Homa, back-to-back home games in SoCal now in Scottsdale. So I get it. I'm not quite ready to get there. I'm not I'm quite not, not quite ready to, to go with him over, like, Morikawa or Finau, but I do think he deserves every bit of the price that he's at. I think if if he was like if he continued to be five five points cheaper than these guys, then he might be one of the most bet guys on the board this week. So um, I hold high, I, I hold Max in very high regard, um, but it's not going to be not going to be the week, especially when again I'm going to kind of talk about it again. But we got Finau at twenty five to one over uh, over the weekend, and I think again this is a price that was pretty highly publicized when it dropped. And I think a lot of people within the space were able to kind of catch this 25 to one on Finau. Just frankly, I don't know what Tony has done to deserve to be relegated into the 20 to one range, um, especially not the mid twenties, but I talked about my analysis with Colin Morcow and kind of powering these guys pre-tournament when pre, when the odds dropped um, for me, Tony was the fourth best player in this field. Um, after Rom, Roy and Scheffler, I kind of had him pretty comfortably in the 14 to 16 to one range. So 25 to one again was one of the first clicks that I was, I was able to make on, on Saturday morning. 
He still comes in as a winner of three of his last 10 starts. He has four additional top 10s in that stretch as well. So seven of his last 10 starts, he's finished inside the top 10, which is ridiculous. Uh, he's the only player in this field, but besides Roy McIlroy to rank inside the top 10 in both off the tee and approach play in his last 50 rounds, he raced out 11th and 8th in both short game metrics, um, strokes game metrics. Um, again, with Tony, he's number one on my model. I kind of go on and on about the, uh, with the underlying stats and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the fact is, in the current, again, hierarchy of world golf, I don't think Tony's any worse than the fifth best golfer on the planet right now. And he's a lot closer to number three, uh, who's Scotty, uh, than Scotty is to either of the top two. So there's not really a venue on the planet with how he's playing that I wouldn't bet Tony Fien out 25 to one. And, you know, Scottsdale kind of come happens to come with a little bit of unfinished business, a little bit of revenge narrative with, with Finau, uh, losing in the playoff to Webb Simpson here in 2020. So, um, yeah, I don't think I have to do a ton of explaining with, with Finau at this price. Um, cause in my mind, I, I don't think he's any, again, any worse than the top, than a top five player in the world. And then I'll go finally to Cantley who again is a little bit of the forgotten man back here as well at 20, 22 to one. Um, came here, hadn't had a start here last year, uh, before last year. And finishes runner up to Scheffler, has the better birdie look on the on the final playoff hole. I think Scheffler made like a 25 footer. Cantley had about a 15 footer. Scheffler makes Cantley misses and then um, you know, on we go with the Scheffler wagon through the through the spring season. But yeah, I mean Cantley, there's really not much again to knock with the guy. Um phenomenal driver of the ball, great iron player, great putter, makes a ton of birdies, great par five scorer. Um again, I'm just a little bit more bullish on Finau and Morikawa, but I would still put Cantley a very close third, kind of in this range from 20 to 25. Um, and I think he's a solid bet. Like, I, I think he's quite a popular bet. I think FanDuel dropped like a 21 or 22 to 1 uh, early in the week, and that was that was hammered down pretty quickly. So um, a lot of people I respect on Cantley this week. I won't be one of them. He's served us quite well um, in the past, but I'm going to I'm gonna lean more towards the two to three point discounts we got with, with Tony and, and Collins. So um yeah that's all i got well and to your point too and i'm not trying to to talk anybody to bet anything off anything other than okay that sounded a little rude you can <laughs> you can bet anything you want to but if you don't bet with fhp right yeah. i do think Cat cantley is kind of interesting i did happen to see um courtesy of rick run good he posted kind of a few of different metrics that he was looking at from his model. Yeah. And one that he had posted was um, like his course history. And he's calling it the sticky course history for mm -hmm. TPC Scottsdale. And Patrick Cantley actually ranked number one um, as far as the kind of like course, course horse here for him. Yeah. Um, he And he also ranked number six as far as best players when playing in strong field events. So I think yeah. Cantley's a really, really strong play. Um, and on like maybe a little hint, hint for those in one and done tournaments or DFS and stuff like that, you know, I think Cantley could be a really nice play. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I listened to that rig road good uh, segment as well. And I also frequent a site called Vincerix run by our boy, uh, Adam Kirk at, at dollars gain betting on Twitter. He um, he's on Cantley as well this week. He compared Cantley to a blue chip stock, which I thought was pretty fitting considering Cantley's like uh, he's a golden sacks guy and, you know, he's going to get that financial bro uh, look about him. But yeah, I think, it, I think whenever Cantley gets to this part of the odds board, he's always a very, very intriguing bet. And, and, you know, we can talk about maybe the major lack of success as we kind of get in the, into the major season, but 
you know, this is a guy that's won Mirfield Village twice. He's won two FedEx Cup playoff events. He's won at Eastlake before as well. So, you know, come second here. There's not a field or a golf course that I think is not suited for Cantley. So whenever you can get a price uh, like 20 or 22 to 1, uh, it's always worth a look. So, again, I've got nothing bad to say. Uh, if I was going to power rate these guys, I would, again, I'd put Fiend out the top. Cantley Morikawa would be kind of two and three very close. I'd put JT um, fourth just based a little bit on recent form. But, um, but yeah, all, all four very solid bets. And, you know, we kind of go back to the reasons why we stayed away from Ram and Roy at eight. It's because, you know, if you – if you wanted to, you could potentially get three of these guys on your card for the same price as, you know, one of Rama Rory. And if those are my two options, I'm only ever going one way um, this week. So, yeah. All right. So next range here, um, we'll stick with the, I guess we'll finish out the twenties basically. So we got a group of four here. We got Cam Young at 25 to one, Sung JM at 25 to one, Tom Kim at 25 to one and Hideki Matsuyama at 28 to one. Deki two time champ here. Right. And I think it's, kind of been showing a little, a little better form over the last few tournaments. So uh, certainly intriguing number, but we have a bet um, differently. Actually, two bets in this range. One just at a very, very different number. Yeah, let's let's start with the outlier here. So I will I will preface my Cameron Young take with, this, with the fact that I did give him at 45 to 1. Once again, on DraftKings on Saturday morning. Um, so I, I would be a bit more hesitant. I, what do you say? He's 25, 28 to 1 now? 25, he's 25 okay. now. Yeah, so he, was, I, he was 28 yesterday, but already done 25 today. Yeah. Um, so I would, full disclosure, if these are the only odds you have available, if you're just now creating your card, I would prefer to go to Cantley or JT rather than rather than Cam Young at 25. That, that would be my personal lean. Again, um, I like Cam Young this week, but for him to be priced alongside major champions and guys that have won – handfuls bucos of pj tour events is uh is still a little bit jarring i kind of talked about this with the i think back at the amex when he was like 25 to 1 but i can see this getting real expensive for a lot of the cam young backers pretty quickly um and i think it has a lot to do with just the variety of courses that he contended on last year you know we've we've seen him have top threes not only at major championships like southern hills and st andrews but you know a positional golf course like harbor town a classical golf course on the West coast, like Riviera, uh, TBC Potomac in really difficult conditions, uh, came second at the swing season event, birdie fest and Sanderson farm. So you, you can kind of make the case fit for Cam Young, no matter where we are. And that's why like at 25, those guys, people that are riding that wagon, I think, you know, especially in a field like this, maybe could do with being a little bit more uh, cautious in that regard, but at 45 to one, <laughs> I just, I can't lay off. Like it's it's almost and because of that right because he's he's been so well-rounded in a short career i can afford to just be as price sensitive as possible because like he's contended in the strongest fields in world golf and some of the weakest fields in world golf so i would just at this point unless i really love the course fit just bet him when he gets to 40 45 to one then really try to call my shot at like 20 to one that i invent envision he's going to be at you know at the byron nelson or the rocket mortgage or whatever right so i will say to make my case for Cam Young, because I he is on the card this week, even though I'm trying to slate him at 25. But he is coming off his sixth solo second finish uh, of the last of his last 15 months. He finished runner-up at the Saudi Invitational uh, last week. Took that little payday in Saudi Arabia, going against the live guys. Uh, finished against solo second to Abe Answer. Led the field in total birdies. Um, and if you are worried about maybe the potential travel risks, 
um, of going from Saudi Arabia to the West Coast. I mean, that's a pretty damn long flight for one week. We had very similar concerns after the Zozo, uh, where he, again, he played in Japan and then turned right around to play the CJ Cup uh, the next week in South Carolina. So that's, I think, a pretty comparable flight. Um, and he finished, now he only finished T23 in the CJ Cup, but he actually had his best iron week since the 2022 Wells Fargo, getting 5.1 shots uh, on approach that week at Congaree. So he's proven his medal in a strong field event on a short layoff, long travel time before. So um, I'm more prone to go maybe maybe go back to him. He's a 25-year-old guy. I think he'll be fine. Um, but again, he should be able to pretty much take this place to task off the tee. I talked about wanting a guy that's super down in with his driver around here. Um, and obviously outside of probably John Rahm, he's the most prolific driver of the golf ball we have in the world. Uh, gained 5.7 shots with uh, his driver on debut last year and a 26th place finish. Um, and then you couple that driving prowess with the fact that he's had a bit of a hot stretch in iron play as of recently. He rates out 25th in my model and birdie chances created um, an eighth in weighted proximity from 125 to 200. Uh, so we're starting to really see the iron play match the driving, which is a really exciting prospect for Camion backers because um, I mean, if that iron play can even come close to matching the dominance he shows with his driver, uh, we could be in for one of the better ball strikers just on the PJ tour in general. Um, and then one last kind of thing that I have in regards to, cause you can't really talk about Cam Young's strengths as of recently without kind of talking about a few of the steps back he's made with the putter, uh, notably missed a lot of short putts, damn that maybe cost a few guys, some top 20, top 10 plays. Uh, but I actually noticed last week watching the Saudi, uh, he utilized the claw method, um, a putting, so he changed his putting grip. He was a lot more – he was, I think, pretty much always been traditional since he's come on a PGA Tour. He's kind of switched to the claw grip. Um, now, I wasn't able to uh, to unearth any advanced stats from the Asian Tour database, but his second-place finish there does give me confidence that he might have found something with the putter that week, and particularly because a lot of his a lot of his deficiencies as of recently were inside, like, 8 to 10 feet, and the claw does tend to improve short-range putting. That's usually the reason why most people go to it is to – get a little bit of structure um, in close. Um, typically guys will, will revert back to their traditional setup, uh, you know, on 30, 40 foot putts, but in close inside 10 feet, that's where a lot of guys tend to see their biggest gains. So a little bit of, again, um, subjective analysis there with the tape grinding, but I, I did notice that. And again, you know, his, his first start since debut in the claw grip after a performance of the Amex that, you know, where his putter really cost him finishes T2 makes the most birdies in the field. So, uh, for me, yeah, Cam Young, 25 is – there's a little bit too many question marks there for me to click that name. But, shit, if you can get anything over 30, 35, uh, he becomes a lot more compelling for me for sure. Um, we'll talk about the second bet I have this rated, Tom Kim. We'll have it 28. I think you can pretty readily be able to find you – can, you can find that pretty readily around the market still, even upwards of like 30, 35 to 1 I've seen at some spots. Um, but, again, Tom's a guy that, you know, he just – he just miscut. At, he just, you know, he followed his first PJ Tour miscut at Sony with a sixth place finish at Amex, and like nobody talked about it. In fact, like people like seemed disappointed <laughs> that Tom, that a twenty year old kid, like finished T six um, at, at an event that had a pretty goddamn strong field, considering the history we've seen in Amex recently. So, I just think that even speaks more to just how quickly this guy's come through the ranks and become a star. Because like twenty year old kids don't finish six in the PJ Tour very often, and like that. For some, for most of us, seemed like a disappointing result, uh, which was just kind of crazy for me. But now, 
or on a golf course that will accentuate, I think, his big, biggest asset, which is driving accuracy. Um, you know, Scottsdale's a desert course, much like TB's Summerlin that we talked about last fall, where he won at 28 to 1. Um, but if you get the fairways here, you're just going to get 20, 30, 40 yards of run, uh, depending on how kind of firm these, uh, these complexes become, these fairways become. And he's going to have plenty of looks um, to attack pins with his kind of favorite mid irons. Again, the eight, seven, six irons from 140 to 200. Um, that he's been so prolific with through his career, actually second to call Morikawa in proximity from 125 to 200. So, um, yeah, he's played well in the desert in the past. Again, a win at Summerlin, uh, sixth place at Amex, and now you know a little bit of a step up in class. I understand people being a little bit wary to go to you know a 20 year old kid whose biggest professional win has come at Sedgefield um, and back them here. But again, he just continues to prove us wrong, and if you can get. 30 to one on a golf course. That's only 7,100 yards and plays as firm and fast as this does. Um, I tend to like our odds there. So yeah, Tom Kim is, is my fourth move out of five on the card at, at 28 to one. And let's see, I haven't talked about Sung Jay or Hideki. So yeah, Sung Jay, Sung Jay is tough for me because I, I do really like the profile of Sung Jay. He's inside the top six or seven of my model. I'm pretty sure. Um, and when you just when you just go through what I've been saying, like the requirements I like at a golf course like this, particularly from Tita Green, Sung Jay checks a lot of boxes. You know, he's super, super reliable off the tee, coming off one of his best iron performances of his career, uh, gaining, I think, 5.1 shots on approach at the Farmers uh, in a T5, T4 uh, at Torrey Pines. So coming in with good form, I like his ball striking stats. I like his short game a lot better than the guy like Colin Morcow as well. It's just for whatever reason, he rates out well a lot for me and he just doesn't tend to win. So whenever you're asking me to pay 25, 28 to one, uh, it becomes a little bit of a, of a tougher prospect for me. I, I certainly like Song Jay in like a top 20 or top 10 market. I think he's going to be a solid play this week. Um, but in terms of an outright bet, I just think there are better options within the price range. So um, yeah, purely price base here. If he was like 35, 40 to one, uh, I'd be betting Song Jay a lot more, but if they're going to continue to price him with, you know, top five to seven players in the world. It's going to be tough for me to get there. And then kind of similarly with Hideki, who I know played very, very well down the stretch of Farmers. I thought we might be able to bank one at 45 to one uh, when he was making his back nine, or I guess it was more of his front nine charge uh, on Sunday. Torrey Pines got to within one or two of Homa um, on, I think, the 11th hole, 12th hole at Torrey uh, before eventually I think finishing top 10. Um, the ball striking stats look good for Hideki, but I think we've just, we've moved him up the odds board a little bit too fast uh, for my liking. And I, I know a lot of it has to do with what Chris said with his two wins here and his documented success, but um, he just hasn't quite gotten back into my circle of trust personally to bet him at 28 to one, especially over guys again, like a Tom Kim or Colin or Finau. So um, again, nothing, not, not a ton bad to say about Hideki and Sungjae. It's just, you know, you have to pick your spots and you have to, Again, um, you have to rank these guys in some order. And for me, they're they're towards the bottom of, of this range. So, um, yeah, like their prospects, but for the win, I'm going to, again, go and uh, go with Kim, go with Young, go with the other two I guys I uh, mentioned earlier. So to go off what you said about Sanjay, I think you actually said it pretty nicely. It's like he's, it seems like he always rates out well. He's always going to be like – he's always going to have like a good tournament – but he doesn't seem to ever, like you said, he never seems to win. And yeah. like I'm actually going back and looking and like 
it's incredible. Like his stats, like yeah, you could you could probably bet this guy to finish top ten every single week and come out as a positive EV at the end of the year. Like yeah. his his 2021 2022 season, like almost all the way down, is like top tens, um, which is crazy. Yeah, no, but, he's he's, but, he's incredible. Like I I love Sungjae. Um, it, don't get it twisted. It's just in the market we're talking about, it's very tough. Because he, he kind of suffers for a little, from a little bit of the same syndrome Xander suffers from, where they're both so consistent on a week-to-week basis that books have to respect them in top five, top 10, top 20 markets. And as a result, their odds, their outright odds, crater to the point where they don't become profitable long-term bets alongside, again, the guys they're, they're kind of paired with it in the 20, 25 to 1 range. So, um, yeah, I, I love Sungjae. I think if you're looking at DraftKings or like prop plays or matchups, like, Sung Jay is like never a guy I ever want to pick on because he drives it straight down the middle and he give, he hits a ton of greens in regulation and his putters above average. So, um, yeah, you can pencil him in for like Chris said, like a T seventeen most weeks. But um, you know he hasn't quite. I think the next step for Sung Jay, you know, he's won twice in the PGA Tour. He's won in the Shriners, one of the Honda Classic. Um, you know, a very tough venue at, at PJ National as well, but hasn't quite shown it. Um, so the winning capability, at least in these upper tier events, uh, quite yet, which, you know, Tom Kim hasn't either, but you know, at least he's as of recently shown a bit more life late in the tournament than, than a guy like Sunday has. So I think there's a bit more untapped upside with, with Tom Kim. Uh, but this is certainly not a, uh, a Sungjae fade, um, either. Absolutely. All right. So I think this will probably be the last range that we'll talk about here. Um, at least in depth before we kind of touch on some other names, maybe a little bit deeper, but uh, from the thirties and forties here, I'm just going to list them out and you talk about who you want, but obviously Victor is the last guy in our card at 33. Uh, Matthew Patrick's at 35, Jordan Spieth at 40, Sahith Gala, as we mentioned earlier, um, another course history guy. Uh, he's sitting at 40 to one. Sam Burns is 45. I guess I'll cut it off there, even though I really want to mention Ricky Fowler at 50. <laughs> Uh, we can talk about Ricky. We can talk about Ricky a little bit. Um, I mean, well, we'll talk about it. What, would you get 50 to one on him? He's 50. Okay. Uh, well, that's, I mean, I said that like it's a good price. I, I've seen 40s, which is just absurd, uh, to be quite honest with you. I know he's won here in 2019, has good history here. Uh, Ricky's playing better. Like, I think Ricky's not dead money. Uh, now, to win, probably dead money. But I'm saying, like, uh, you know, top 20, top 40, something like that. I think he can have a good week, you know. Hopefully he makes, you know, makes something happen on 16 or 17, gets some crowd reaction, gets gets them riled up. But, uh, yeah, for, for Ricky Fowler to be priced in the same range as, I mean, I don't even like Spieth, but Spieth, Burns, Fitzpatrick, Hovland, I mean, that's ardently ridiculous to me. So Taylor Montgomery. Taylor <laughs> Montgomery, yeah. <laughs> PGA star, Taylor Montgomery, future Ryder Cup star. Um, but, yeah, I've seen, like, I saw, like, 70s and 80s early in the week that, look, I don't think Ricky Fowler is going to win, but I think you could at least make the case at like 70 or 80 to one. I think the case is just, you can't make any case. Like, it, yeah, you would, you would get to the point at 40 to one, 50 to one, where you would kind of lose a little bit, a little bit of our respect if, if you bet him at, at 40 or 50 to one, but let's move on. <laughs> let's move on to another Oklahoma state cowboy that I do have on the card. Victor Hovland, 35 to one going back to the well after Pebble beach. Like I said, Sunday was a bit of a – again, I, I expected more from Victor on Sunday. I thought he was had the ability to climb the leaderboard. It was There were a lot more benign conditions on that Sunday-slash-Monday finish than there were on Saturday when he kind of had to gut out 
a two under or three under rounds. The driving was phenomenal for Farrell. For <laughs> the driving was phenomenal for Hovland last week, um, but it's it's kind of the iron play that really held him back. Which, if you look long term at Victor's kind of proximity stats, his mid to long irons are typically a lot more proficient or a lot better um, in relation to a field than his wedge numbers are. Um, so even though he's had documented success at Pebble Beach. I actually think in terms of just a pure, pure TD green profile, um, Phoenix fits him even a little bit better. Uh, he's one of the one of the elite drivers we have on the PG Tour, top five in total driving in 2022. Again, great middle long iron player, and I trust him at this point. You know, one of the more one of the more underreported kind of developments on the PJ Tour, Victor Hoblin's a really good putter. Um, he's a guy I, I absolutely trust to make a putts pressure putt from eight feet. The short game is what it is, um, but I think he's made some strides in it. He's certainly not uh, as bad as we've seen it, you know, as recently as 10 or 12 months ago. And this is a golf course where I think he's going to be able to pepper greens, take advantage of his biggest weapons with his driver and his mid-iron play, um, and create a ton of birdie looks. So, yeah, Hovland 35-1 to um, for me. I don't think we'll – Unless we're at a golf course that I think really, really emphasizes short game, uh, thirty-five to one is a, is a bet I'm always going to be comfortable making on on that kind of ceiling uh, with the ball striking. So, uh, for me, Vic is my final bet uh, after Finel, Morikawa, Tom Kim, and uh, Cameron Young. Fitzpatrick at thirty-three to one. I mean, if we're we're going to start talking about fades now, and I think Fitzpatrick and Spieth, two guys that played uh, last week and disappointed, are kind of the the two paramount fades uh, that I could really point out. Fitzpatrick dealing with, I think, a neck injury that he he talked about. Um, actually, I think it was like Tuesday or Wednesday, like day, a day or two before the tournament started last week at Pebble Beach. Uh, obviously did not play very well, missed the cut. Um, now, a healthy Fitzpatrick guy I actually quite like around this venue because very much like Sungjae, uh, he drives the ball in an absolute string. So any kind of firm and fast, golf course, U.S. Open style conditions where, you know, you're going to get a lot of run out and you need to be able to hit the ball accurately off the tee because there's a lot of peril off the fairways here. Um, I, I do like Fitzpatrick's prospects, but again, we're not seeing any real sign of life in terms of the ball striking as of recently. And then you throw in the, uh, you throw in the potential neck injury. And um, yeah, I don't really know why he's priced at 33 to one. I don't know anybody that would be betting that number. So yeah, um, yeah, for me, complete fade on Fitzpatrick, complete fade on Spieth as well. Um, I was actually quite close to clicking Spieth at like 14-1 to 1 last week. Um, I saw a little bit of drift as the week went along as guys tended to gravitate more towards the bets in the 25 and 30-1 to 1 range. We saw Spieth and Hovland drift down to 14. I made the move on Hovland at 14. I was very close to betting Spieth at 14 as well. Um, and that was one of the more disappointing results that I've had or that I've kind of seen recently for any golfer. Um, I think Speed's inability to finish inside the top 60 at a place that he's historically dominated at Pebble Beach uh, does not bode well for his prospects over the next two or three months. I know Speed is – he always kind of rides by the seat of his pants. You never really know what you're going to get from him, but uh, that was that was a pretty tough one. So 40 to 1 somehow – I mean, like, it, it's it's quite telling that he's 40. I've seen 50 to ones on speed this week and nobody seems to have any interest uh, whatsoever. Uh, despite the fact that he came, I think T five or T six, he was in the final group in 2021 um, around here, shut up 10 under 61 
uh, on Saturday that year. But yeah, for me, speed just too much, uh, too many question marks for the driver. Um, we're just not seeing again the same ceiling with the ball striking that we might might have seen um, kind of when he was at his peak or even a little bit lower than his peak about a year ago or so. So um, yeah, I, w- I would say Spieth and really Spieth, Fitzpatrick, even Sam Burns, I would say is maybe even maybe even a little bit of a fade for me. Um, now I don't feel as strongly with the Burns fade as I do the Spieth and Fitzpatrick one, but you know you talk about a golf course that's really penalizes wayward misses and Sam Burns for me is outside the top 120 in good drive percentage, which is just a measure that it's basically a fairway or a drive that results in a green regulation, which basically just notates any basically just shows you golfers that are able to keep the ball in front of them and not get themselves into too much trouble. And on a golf course that provided the fifth most penalty strokes of any golf course in the PGA tour last year, I think Burns versus drivers, I think liable to get him in his fair share of trouble this week. And even though, the approach play did come back at Amex. He's put it really well in these greens in the past. Um, Burns's prospects this week, I think, revolve entirely on gaining eight strokes putting. And so whenever that's the case for a guy, until I see some more life for the driver and the ability to, you know, control it, um, I'm going to be hands off the Sam Burns for the, for the foreseeable future. So, um, yeah, that would be kind of my takes on all the top names. I will say – we are getting a fair few kind of interesting discounts on the Euro guys. Uh, I would say Hatton, Fleetwood, and Lowry all at like 60, 66 to one. That's quite tempting. Fleetwood um, is 80 to one. Fleetwood's 80 to one. That is, <laughs> that is quite. Now, Fleetwood is my least favorite of the three. I would say Hatton and, and Lowry have shown a bit more ball striking form recently than Fleetwood has. But Fleetwood has actually won more recently than either of Fitzpatrick and Lowry as well. So I know we haven't, we don't have much documented history of any of them because, again, they play in Europe typically from, you know, December all the way through February. They usually come back for the Florida swing in March. Um, but I think in terms of pure talent, like Hatton has been striping his irons on in Europe. Uh, Lowry's, I think, a phenomenal fit. Any place that you like, guys like Tom Kim and Colin Morikawa, uh, Lowry's got to be worth some kind of look. And then, you know, Fleetwood. I'm not the biggest Fleetwood guy, but I will. I'll concede that 80 to one is probably a, a really compelling price. It's about as close as I've come to betting Fleetwood in quite some time. So, um, so yeah, it, in terms of values that I've kind of gleaned from the odds board, like those are the three that really stuck out to me. Even Alex Norton, another European tour guy um, that has actually played quite well here in the past uh, T six here last year and led the field in the deeper world tour finals on approach um, to end the 2022 season. So he's had some nice recent success. So I would say, yeah, Lowry, Fleetwood, Norin, uh, and Hatton would be, if you did want to go further on the board, they're guys that have, again, pedigree and very strong fields. Lowry's won a major. Um, Hatton has won at Bay Hill. Fleetwood's come very close into a lot of big tournaments, um, as has Norin. So, um, yeah, I would say if you are, again, zoning in on a potential punt down the board, the European guys present the best value. I mean, it would, it would really hurt if a guy like, Corey Connors or Tom Hoagie wants to win at like 80 to one and learn how to putt for the first time and you know, their entire careers, but I'm not quite ready to, to be going to go on the air and tout them as uh as best as we can the outright market. So um, yeah. Unless there's anyone else you want to talk about, Chris, I think we've covered our bases and given uh, people more than enough near full of our voices for the, uh, for the week. Yeah, I guess you brought up the three. Well, I was going to bring up Hatton, um, or sorry, I was going to bring up Lowry and Fleetwood. You added Hatton to the mix, so you covered 
two of the names I was going to cover or ask about, um, I will bring up, I mean, let me just preface, like I said at the very beginning of this, we don't really expect anybody greater than 40 to win really to be in contention to win this tournament. But let's just say you don't have access to a Camion 25 or 28 or whatever, 30, plus 30, I think is what you said, you'd be willing to go on. Or you don't have access to was another guy that we have a value on um, Colin. Right. And you want to place, maybe you want to play some deeper shots to make up for the units that we have allocated that you haven't. Um, we are just bringing up some other names to consider. Um, but I did hear Corey Connors. Uh, I think he was ninth in your model. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> this one's more of a joke, I guess, but TPC course, TPC Lee, right. Um, yeah. He was runner up here last year, I believe. Two years ago. Oh, yeah, you're right. Two years ago. And who was my other name? But I'll let you talk about this too while I figure out who the other... Oh, Lucas Herbert. Uh, Rick Gaiman brought up Lucas Herbert this morning saying that he's had some incredible success in Australia the last few weeks. And I know that he is a FHP... Uh, he's an FHP winner for us. So he's a little special to the FHP hearts. But somebody yeah. that, that, that Gaiman was touting that I was curious if he popped in your model at all. Uh, he wouldn't have because, like you said, it's his top success has, has his recent success has come in Australia. Um, it would I, I could see the angle because you know Australian sandbelt courses tend to play firm and fast, kind of very similar to like a low country at Congaree. Um, pretty prolific driver of the balls, Lucas Herberts. Yeah, third, third, tenth in his last three starts in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, um, and the Australian Open. So. I, I, I understand it. I don't think he's going to win the golf tournament. Um, and so, yeah, at 100 to 1 is maybe even a little bit more expensive than I would have thought for a guy like Luke Bush Herbert. I was thinking more like 150, 200 to 1. So I guess books have become savvy to his recent results. Um, yeah, don't think he's going to win, but yeah, sure. I could see the logic to, to being in him, uh, some kind of prop market or if you want to find another guy you want to pick on around him in the odds board for a matchup. And yeah, Lucas Herbert clearly playing good golf. He, yeah, full disclosure, I did not expect you to say Lucas Herbert's name. So <laughs> uh, I do trust Rick Gaiman, and I I think it's a solid solid tout uh, if you're looking for like a, like a top 40, top 30 play. Um, Connors, yeah, it's the same story every damn week with Connors. Um, the ball struck looks great, and I he's like the – he's been demoted. I, I used to call him like the B-grade Morikawa. He's more like the C-grade Morikawa now, I think. Um, but, yeah, he's fun to track from – for about two thirds of the rounds when he's like hitting every fairway and hitting every shot to like 12 feet. Uh, then he misses everybody putt and you realize why he was 66 to one. So um, yeah, Connor's from an outright perspective, if he wins, like I'll, I'll be quite happy just because like, that's kind of my guy. And then we can get excited to bet Corey Connors at 18 to one at the heritage every year. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know it just at 66 to one here. And then uh tbc lee what's the best number you, you found on cage um i've only i mean i'm only looking at our book um okay. which has him at where does his name go oh god i know you're right it's here like 100, right or like 66 oh he's at 100 too he's 100 to one as well um yeah let me check what dk has hang on yeah you're good yeah <laughs> The problem with KH Lee, okay, the problem with KH Lee is, yes, if you filter by TPC courses, like, I'm sure he pops in a ton of models, or if you just want to look at course history for the last, like, two years. But he's just 
there's not really a ton that I can glean from his other performances this year. I mean, miscut the Amex 28th at the, uh, at the Sony open did come seventh at century. So that's, that's a solid data point. 42nd at, uh, at my co with 59th at Zozo did came, did come third at CJ cup. So he just pops up so randomly that I can't really make too much rhyme or reason with KH Lee. Um, there's not like a particular metric that I think he really excels at. I think he's probably average to above average at everything. Um, I think he's a. I think he was actually first round leader here last year, uh, if I recall correctly. I think that's actually true. Um, so for me, he's much, much more um, enticing as a first round leader play than um, like an outright. Because again, I think he has the tendency to just get stupid hot at random points in the year, um, and he also has the tendency to like you know go five under five over through five um, at various points of the tournament. So yeah, for me. I, I have absolutely no interest, even at 100 to one on the outright. But if you want to find, I'm sure he's probably priced a little bit down in the first round leader market. But yeah, he would be a look for me at like 60, 70 to one if you want to bet uh, Thursday leaders. Because I think, um, yeah, it would be surprised at all to me uh, to see him climb the leaderboard early and then maybe catch, uh, get himself into some trouble uh, as the days go by. Yeah, that's all I had. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I was going to suggest. I was going to say I'm probably going to play him at 70 to 1 as first round leader just because that feels like something I would play. Uh, it's not a bad bet. I'll say that. All right. Well, I think that's about all I've got for you. And we've talked about a lot of guys today. So um, just to give everyone a recap, we've got Tony Fina on the card at 25 to 1, Con Morikawa at 25 to 1, Tom Kim at 28 to 1. Victor at 35 to one and Cam Young at 45 to one. So I know we've talked about Cam, the price you'd be willing to pay on Cam given yeah. the, the current numbers, but what about Colin? Did we kind of touch on that? If, if they can't get a 25, are you still advocating for like a 16, 18, 20, 22, whatever may be out there? Uh, I would, I would draw my line for Colin at 20. I think call, okay. I think 20 is a fair price for Colin. I think 20 is a, I mean, I think probably 18 or 20 is a fair price for Finau. Um, Really, my my overarching attitude this week is just play find, your guy. find the falling star. That I mean, like, there's a lot of really good options. I think from twenty to twenty five, um, and I would assume books just have various guys at this point in the week, kind of priced at twenty five uh, or like twenty two to twenty five. I know our book has Cantley at twenty two right now. That's a bet I'm more comfortable making than Colin sixteen. So for me, there's not a ton of wrong answers until you get to. I would say Sungjae, like, I mean, even Sungjae has my, has a buy point for me at like 33, 35. Um, but if we're talking like under 30 to one, I don't think it's a bad strategy just to pick like the three or four lowest price guys and line the upside because they all, for me, I could easily see all of them again, possessing the tools to, to take this thing down. So um, that would be my strategy. If you don't want to go just full copy paste mode, um, because like I said, we made, I think you can make great cases for, anybody under 30 to one. So um, yeah, it's a week to, you know, have a little bit of fun. It's, it's a party. Um, it's a week where take your guys and just again, have a blast because uh, it's not often we get this many options at the top of the odds board, especially this early in the season. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's all I got. <laughs> all right. Well, with that being said, uh, we'll close out this week, and next week we are back to regularly scheduled. Two pods per week. We have Daytona 500 next week uh, mixed with – what do you have next Riviera. week? Riviera, buddy. Riviera. Oh, yeah, that's right. Big one. Big so, week. Um, 
yeah, stay tuned as FHP will be back in full force in just the coming week. But nothing to gloss over this week as uh, Waste Management Phoenix Open is a blast. So with that being said, we will close out for this week. We appreciate everyone listening and we will see you next week.